Hey, and welcome to the Crosspoint Church Podcast. We are a church that is for the city in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. We are passionate about helping people become fully devoted followers of Jesus. So if you're just joining us for the first time, we would love for you to check out our website, thecrosspointchurch.ca. There you can find ways to connect with us and see what's happening at Crosspoint. Now, let's listen to this week's Sunday message. This is Andrew, Andrew Seely. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Andrew and Megan have been a part of the congregation here, and much longer than Brenda and I. But one of the things I've come to appreciate about them is their deep love for the Word of God, their desire to hear it clear. And it's not just uh, theoretical for Andrew. Uh, he works as a counselor with social services, and in that context, he's applying what he is learning from the Word. And so he is speaking to us not out of just academic, but out of his experience. And so I want to pray for him and uh, pray that God would use him and that our hearts would be open. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I thank you for Andrew and for Megan and for their family. I thank you, Lord, that you have been at work in them and that you there's evidence that you lead them. And so now as he speaks out of his experience, out of his knowing you, I pray, Lord, that you would guide him that you would highlight in his heart those things that need to be spoken clearly so that, Lord, he would be guided by you and that our hearts would receive the message that you speak through him. Make your presence real amongst all of us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Jim. Am I on? Can people hear me? We're good? I've never been accused of being too quiet. That's never been a problem. So... Last time I was up here, my iPad decided that it was just going to keep scrolling up the entire time. So I've decided to be a Luddite and use paper today. So I apologize while I get all set up, but I have a question for the people who have seen this box before. Yes, Delaney has seen this box. I know that Raider and Kai have seen this box. I know for sure that Laura and Liam and Ellie have seen this box. So I'm going to ask a question about the box, but here's the deal. Josh, way at the top, has seen this box before. You are only allowed to answer my question about the box if you have seen the box previously. So if you have not seen this box before, you are not allowed to answer my next question. My question is, what do you think is in the box? You think I'm in the box? I... Don't even think I could fit through that box if it didn't have a bottom. Fitz, what do you think's in the box? Do you think sticks are in the box? You know what's hilarious? My kids have no idea what's actually in the box. Is there any other guesses about what's in the box? You can just yell them out. Be loud. Yes! Nothing is in the box. That's incorrect. There's always at least air in the box. Yes, Liam, what's in the box? Air. There is technically air in the box, Liam. It's not wrong. He's not fully correct. I will take one more guess about what's in the box. Yes, Kai, what do you think? Wrapping paper is in the box. You're not totally correct, but you're a little correct, but that's not what I'm going for. There is a piece of paper in the box, but I was supposed to take that out before I asked what was in the box. Delaney would often take out the box and she would shake the box 
She would bounce the, bounce the box. She'd turn the box upside down. Micah, you've seen the box before. That's true. You've been down there. Micah, what do you think's in the box? Mystery is in the box. Thanks for the dad joke this morning, Micah. In this box is applesauce. How <laughs> about the kids are like, it's not candy. It is applesauce. And this year, my apple trees had so many apples. We had like an apple Armageddon at our house. And we made something like 30, 40 gallons of applesauce, because it's a very small amount of applesauce. We got a ton and ton and ton of applesauce. So what do you think the branches are behind me? Apple tree branches. And you know what I thought I would do this morning is I would bring these and then I could give them to somebody and they could take them home and next year they would have tons and tons and tons of apples. Right? What? You need the whole tree. Why do you need the whole tree? Well, what's going to happen to these branches then? They're going to die. They're going to decompose. So I can't just give these branches out and have you share. I can't give these branches out and have you share in the fun of the apples. What if I gave you a written invitation to come next year to experience the apples? Could you experience the apples then? Yeah. Jim and Brenda are saying yes. I'm hearing lots of yeses if I gave this invitation. Now, I want to point out that if somebody takes this legally binding, I expect you to come pick the apples next year. <laughs> the girl on the tree. So just to clarify what we've learned this morning, it's not enough to maybe eat the applesauce. It's not enough to take the branches, to be part of what the tree was. The best chance to experience the magnificence of my apples is to be invited into it and to experience it yourself. Hmm. That brings us to our passage this morning. And our passage this morning is in John. And it's not a big passage, so I thought we'd start off this morning by reading all the way through. So if you have your Bibles, you can open them with me. You can pull out your devices and pull them up on that. That is okay. Um, I hope that it's been obvious what we've been doing. We've been going through John. I hope you've read John before. I hope you've been reading along. I hope you've been in the Word. The cool thing about the Bible, though, is you don't even have to necessarily be reading John. Because this is one big story. So if you're somewhere else in your Bible, you might come and you might hear somebody speak. You might be like, oh, that reminds me of when I was in Corinthians this week. Or that reminds me of Romans. Or that reminds me of what I was reading about Habakkuk. Or that reminds me about what I was reading about Genesis. So it's all one big story. And this is God's invitation to be part of his story. So our passage this morning, John 15, starting at verse 1. Jesus is speaking. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. 
If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that has been thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this, so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. So I want you to put yourself in this position. I want you to think about being with Christ. So you are with Christ. He's teaching. He's walking around. You're witnessing miracle after miracle happen. You're watching people come to him. This great rabbi, this great teacher. And they're going to learn from him. And you're traveling and you are singing songs of praise. And you are singing spiritual truths and learning all of these powerful things. And between these great public displays of Christ's power, you have these intimate moments of learning and teaching. You write them down, you carry them with you. And Jesus this morning is dropping one, and I am the true vine. Now, for us to read this in the 21st century, we go, Jesus is the true vine. I heard that in Sunday school. It's probably your first thought at some point. You start trying to really figure out, well, what's that? Does he like the fruit of the vine? Is it like the seed? Is he like, is it because he died and then he might come back? You can get really complicated with this. But we don't have the vision of what it was like to be then. And I asked you to imagine what it would be like to be with Christ then. You would have recognized what Christ meant as the true vine because you would have been singing songs and hearing stories and being in the word at the time that was about what the vine was. Remember how I said this is a whole story? They would have been singing one of the songs of the Old Testament. So to understand what the vine is, we are going to flip back in our Bibles today. And we are going to go to Psalm 80. They would have easily recognized the vine as a metaphor used previously to describe the nation of Israel. We're not going to sing this this morning. I will bear you from having to hear that projected from up here by me. But we can take a look at the words. And Psalm 80 starts, for the director of music, to the tune of the lilies of the covenant of Asaph, a psalm. Now, of Asaph means that the psalm was written by Asaph or a descendant of him. And it's important to know who that was because it helps us place it in time. Scholars place this psalm as being written around the time that the northern kingdom of Israel was defeated and the people were dispersed into Assyria. So the nation's under attack and it's broken down and the people are scattered. And it starts at verse 1 to say, Hear us, O shepherd of Israel, you have led Joseph like a flock. You who sit a throne between the cherubim, shine forth before Ephraim, Benjamin, and Manasseh. Awaken your might, come and save us. Restore us, O God. Make your face shine upon us. Restore us, O God. Make your face shine upon us that we may be saved. O Lord God Almighty, how long will your anger smolder against the prayers of your people? You have fed them 
with the bread of tears, and you have made them drink tears by the bowlful. You have made us a source of contention to our neighbors, and our enemies mock us. So restore us, O God Almighty. Make your face shine above us, that we may be saved. This is not a good time. This is a desperate plead. You brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it, and it took root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. It sent out its boughs to the sea, and it shoots as far as the river. The vine was Israel. The vine was the nation moving throughout, and God's people going throughout. But God's the planter. He made the way, and he provided all the vine needed to thrive. Why have you broken down its walls so that all who pass by it pick its grapes? Boars from the forest ravage it, and the centuries of the fields feed on it. Return to us, O God Almighty. Look down from heaven and see. Watch over this vine. The root of your right hand is planted. The sun you have raised up for yourself. Your vine is cut down. It is burned with fire at your rebuke. Your people perish. Let your hand rest on the man at your right hand. The son of man you have raised up for yourself. Then we will not turn away from you. Revive us, and we will call on your name. Now, I don't have time to break down all the metaphors in this this morning, or to go into all the people and places that are mentioned, but there's a really interesting thing that happens in Old Testament prophecy in particular, but happens throughout the Old Testament, and we call it multiple meaning. It's a literary device that shows up all the time, and it just literally means that two things can mean the same thing and can repeat themselves. And this is really common in Jewish writing. Now, we are the most, I could be quoted, we are the most anal generation ever, ever in recorded history. We keep track of every date to the minute of when it happens. If you work in healthcare like I do and you have to chart, you don't just put the date, you put the hour and then the next hour and the next hour and then when they phone you back at what time that was at, we keep track of everything. And the Old Testament, they didn't do that. Generations before, the 21st century or 20th century, Western culture really didn't keep track of things like that. They were very comfortable with this concept of multiple meanings. That things can mean something and mean something else and come back again. So like I said, we see this in prophecy, where a messianic prophecy, a prophecy of the upcoming Messiah of Christ, is interwoven with end-time prophecy. Things that will happen at the end of days. Play on words are done intentionally. So in this case, we just read the man at your right hand, and instantly you might think of Christ. We know that he sits at the right hand of God. The Jews might have thought of this as the Messiah. It could have meant the nation of Israel, who is often referred to as the firstborn son, and the firstborn son always sits at the right hand of the master. And I would argue it's intentionally all of those things. It's Christ and the nation. As the vine is intentionally both, the vine is the nation of Israel and then the true vine, the rectifying that is the, of Christ. And the psalm ends with the last verse. Restore us, O Lord, God Almighty, make your face shine upon us that we may be saved. We know God restored the nation of Israel over and over and over again. And different times of them, they prospered in different ways and different times of them, they were broken down so they were returned to God again. And until the Messiah came, when the whole of the world was returned to God and had an opportunity to know salvation, 
And we know until Christ comes again to restore this world as God plans to do in the end times. There's this theme in this psalm of a prayer of request by the community for revival and restoration after experiencing destruction and recognizing God is the only hope for salvation in that. This isn't the only time the vine is mentioned in the Old Testament, but it's helpful to have that context when we go back to our passage. To transpose ourselves into a place of these disciples and understand this context for their conversation with Christ. The nation of Israel was depicted as a vine placed by God, but the nation was unfaithful and unfruitful. So Jesus presents himself as the true vine and that perfect fulfillment. So flip back now to John 15. If you have a physical Bible, you have to bear with me as I do the same. John 15.1 talks about the fruit. So what actually is the fruit? The fruit of the spirit is not a coconut. Fruit of the spirit is not a coconut. If you want to be a coconut, you might as well hear it. You can't be a fruit of the spirit because the fruit is love, joy, peace. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. I didn't get it perfect either. Kids, if you are sitting next to an adult and they are not singing, encourage them to sing. So turn to your parent and be like, hey, you're supposed to be singing. That guy said so. Love, joy, peace, patience, guys, and vigilance, self-control. Self-control. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and self-control. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and self-control. See, we know things because we sing them. Seriously, this is how we remember biblical truths. We're going to have a hymn sing soon. How many people know have a hymn in their heart when life just sucks? How many people are asked to remember something about the Lord and they go to something like that? If my wife asks me, now she has them down. My wife asks me the books of the Bible. I start going, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. I will save you from the rest of that. Fitz has gone off already. We know things because we've sung them. They knew things because they sang them. And no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. That's where we're at this morning. It's what God was bringing us to. That's what he was telling us. So when he starts speaking and saying, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener, they knew what the vine was. They're like, he's talking about Israel. He's talking about the nation. How is he the true vine then? He's not the entire nation. 
He cuts off every branch of me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be more fruitful. Why were my trees so fruitful this year? We pruned them. Yes! We cut them back, and my dad's like, you cut those back too far. My dad doesn't have apple trees. He's shh. I cut them back the perfect amount because we got so many apples. Because that's what God does. He prunes us. I've noticed that nobody's taken the paper yet. I just want to remind you it's up here. Legally binding. But he says, you are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So how do we do that? How do we remain in Christ? He says, I am the vine and you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. Literally what I'm going to do with these branches. Free firewood. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. This is to my Father's glory that you may bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. What's great about this, I don't know if you caught it, but if you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given to you. So if you remain in Christ, and you ask for $100 million, no, of course not. That's ridiculous. Because the next verse is the important one, right? This is to my Father's glory. He'll give you the things for the Father's glory. I have a friend who had a truck, and he was a single guy, and he used to pray that he always drove a beater, like a beater. It's Matt, looking at my friends, drove a beater, and he prayed to God that his beater would run, and he'd use it. And he took that to me, and he would pick up every hitchhiker he saw, regardless of where they were going, and drive them. He once drove eight and a half hours, <laughs> out of the way and into BC to drop somebody off because that's how he wanted God to use what he had. I have a friend, I have friends who've talked about wanting more money so that they can further God's kingdom with that money. Not so they can hoard it and sit on it, but so they can use it for God's glory. I have a friend who is a chaplain at a mental health hospital who prayed that God would use his kids and then they became the volunteers on my unit. And they came in and worked with kids in jail who had murdered people who had committed violent acts and sat down and talked about how important Jesus was. So we have the how, but why? And what I love is Christ doesn't leave that out. He says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this, so that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be complete. He loved his disciples in the same manner that God loved him. Actually think about that for a second. Because I can't comprehend how much God loved Christ. I can't. I can't fathom what that looks like or understand that. And he loved his disciples and loves us in the same way. And we obey his commands to remain in his love. To get to enjoy the fruits of the Spirit. I'm not going to sing again. So that his joy may be in you. I'm going to sit down for this. Story time. 
I grew up in a house that was a lazy Christian. So that meant I went to church on major holidays and I didn't go if I didn't feel like it. And so growing up, I wasn't a Christian. Becoming a young man, I wasn't saved. Went to a very charismatic church, got saved around the age of 21. Burned hard and fast. Left that church embittered and angry. So God kept putting these people in my life. I worked at a paint store. I sold paint. If you can imagine me, I sold paint. And there was this happy weirdo that worked at the paint store that was happy. She was weird. Because most of the people I spent time with drank a lot and pursued all the things in this world and looked for the joy of this world, to find the joy of this world, and could grab onto fleeting moments of happiness. But overall, we were fairly miserable. And she was this weirdo that was happy, came from a weirdo family that was happy. Like, actually happy. Like, they not only loved each other. My parents loved me. I came from a very loving home. I can't say anything different about that. But they were genuinely happy. I couldn't shake it. Because I didn't have anyone else like that in my life. And I started working in a group home. And at this group home were more weirdos that were happy. And we were at a group home. I literally had poo thrown at me. Hit me once. I was kicked. I was punched by kids that couldn't control themselves because they experienced awful, awful things. And in this home were people that were, were joy-filled. One of them comes on the stage every week with her guitar and sings to us. That's where I met Christina for the first time. Weirdo. And I noticed that the more I sought the world and the more I moved away from the vine. Now, remember, I, had, I absolutely believe I was saved at this point. I believe if my stupidity had led me to death, I would have went to heaven, and he would have looked at me, and he would have been like, why? And the more I moved away from that vine, the more I cut my branches away, and I sought things of this world, the more miserable I became. I was overwhelmed with depression and skepticism and anger. And then these weirdos around me seemed to have the opposites. Now, they had moments of depression, and skepticism and anger. There is no doubt about that. But for the most part, I seemed to find moments of happiness in a world that sucked. And they seemed to find moments of darkness in a world that genuinely brought them joy. Weirdos. Now, didn't they know how much the world sucked? Has anyone here ever tried to rail against God? like really tried to work against him, what he had planned for you. This is the part of my life I usually try to describe as walking down a path, and Christ is like, I am right here on this path. Just come this way. Look, it's a nice path. It's a narrow path, but it's nice. And I'm like, I am going to go through those brambles and through all those thick thorns and the raspberry bushes and just stomp right up the mountain. I'm not a mountain climber. But I felt this calling to go back to church. It made sense to go with this weirdo happy family I knew, but I hinged everything on the fact that I wasn't invited. Like literally, I'm like, but I haven't been invited. Next week I'm hanging out with this delightful weirdo and she actually invited me to go to church with her. Like just said, you know, if you ever want to go to church with me, you'd be welcome. And I knew, I knew in that moment that that was my answer to prayer. 
And I went, and I mentioned a bunch of other weirdos who said things like, I am well in the Lord, thank you for asking. All the gray-haired people here chuckled at that. So he used to say that a lot more. I want to bring that back. I am well in the Lord. Because your life can be terrible, and you can still be well in the Lord. And they would say that, and they were generally joy-filled. And they're not always happy. And they're not always, they get angry, and they get depressed. And they struggle with mental health, and they struggle with other things. But they generally had joy. That's where I met Trissa. I'm just blaming people at this point. They were joy-filled. So we have the why. We know what it can do. We know what this joy can look like. Let's go back to the how. Now, I'm going to do something completely different this morning. Instead of giving you the three ways to be in the vine, to be in Christ, I'm going to give you the opportunity to share how you're in Christ. So... I am going to give a few moments for you to turn to the happy weirdos that are around you, to speak to somebody who doesn't look like you, and to talk about how you remain in the vine. So I am going to give you about three minutes. Seriously, you're all staring at me. No, we're doing this. I'm going to give you about three minutes. Find someone who doesn't look like you. They don't look like each other, but they're all united under one thing. We're all united under Christ. Turn to somebody who doesn't look like you and share. How do you stay in the vine? And then I'm going to ask a couple people to share their thoughts afterwards. I'm not going to ask everyone. I'm not going to ask anyone who's uncomfortable. So please, please go break. Talk to people who don't look like you. How do you stay in the vine?
Okay, I'm going to bring you back. I'm going to bring everyone back. Does anybody want to share? I'm respectful of time and noticing time. I know I only have like 45 more minutes. But does anybody want to share? How do you stay in the vine? The word, absolutely, reading your Bible. How else do we stay in the vine? Prayer, worship, fellowship. I heard something, but I couldn't make it out. Church, going to church, absolutely. Spending time with other believers. You know how to do these things already. That's why I didn't give you the three things to do to stay in the vine. You already know how to do this stuff. You are the people of God. So be who you are. So I hope this morning is an encouragement to come back to doing those things. Get in your word. Meet with other people who love Jesus. It's so encouraging when we have lunch with somebody and then you find out that it's supper time, so you're just going to like throw that together because that happened. And now it's eight and I have to get the kids to bed, so you actually have to leave, but I don't want you to. Those are the best days. And I've had those days where I literally have nothing in common. The man doesn't like Marvel. And I could spend eight hours talking to him because there's something about the spirit. There's something about Jesus that unites us. And it helps chop away those branches. It helps chop away the bitterness and the anger and the upset that we have with the world and builds us up in what we truly are and in that joy. I want to overstep my passage today and read one more verse. And it's verse 12. And verse 12 says, My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. We already read that Christ loved as God loved him. And God literally is love. And we're called to love each other as God loved Christ. So, I can literally do nothing with this. This is dead. This is last year's pruning. It's very dead. There's nothing I can do with this. But this, I actually cut this this morning. It's starting to wither because it's turning into fall. If I took this home and I spliced the very green end and I put it back in my tree, there's a very high chance it would grow. When I came back to church, when I let my branch be put back on that vine, it was amazing how quickly the snowball rolled and how much joy I had. Now, I'm not going to leave you hinging on this. Does anyone know who the weirdo was at the paint store? It was Megan. She was beautiful. I married her. That worked out well. 
But Megan always says I have to follow that with like, she was not evangelical dating. (laughs) Just for the record. But God knew. I was in a very dark place in my life when Megan came into it. God knew. I met Megan years before I even got saved because I was best friends with her cousin in high school and she was at a wedding that I attended and I would have shook her hand as part of the bridal party and I know, I know that God was laughing. (laughs) Because I was meeting 14-year-old Megan and I was like five years old or so I'm 19. I think that math checks out. I looked at my mother-in-law who was a math teacher to make sure. She's from the weirdo family, by the way. And he knew he was going to put her in my life to build us together towards God. And he knew that Teresa was going to be my life and Kevin was going to be my life and Scott was going to be my life. And all of these people that came into my life that helped build me up in the Lord. I was surprised how easy it was to turn one invitation into 20 years. Makes me feel old. And maybe you don't feel the Lord's joy today. That's okay. We're going to have altar prayer soon. And I would encourage you, if you don't feel that joy, if you want that joy, to come to altar prayer and to have an opportunity of somebody pray for you. They're not magically going to transform you in an instant. But to know that there's people who are praying for you, that love you, that care about you. And why do they do that? Because we're called to love the same way that God loved Christ. And maybe you don't even know what I'm talking about. Maybe you have no idea what this joy is that comes from knowing the Lord. And that's okay. Talk to literally anyone you know who has that joy. Because what got me to church in the first place that got me saved was a gentleman who sat on a couch who knew the Lord and said, you're in sin. Your life is leading to destruction. And I'm worried you'll hate me for saying it. That got me into church. That got me baptized. What got me to come back was the simple invitation to come and the Lord working on my heart. There is staff here that would love to talk to you about it. There are believers here that would love to talk to you about it. We have elders that would love to talk to you about it. Chances are you know somebody in your life who's earnest about Jesus that you could talk to about it. And if you want that prayer, altar prayer is open. So I'm going to ask you to stand because Jim started this and I love this. I'm going to get you to stand, and I'm going to give the benediction this week, and I'm going to put a slight twist on it, if I can be allowed to do so, based on the verses we were in today. You are the people of God, called by God to love each other as he has loved you. For this is his redemptive mission in the world. So be who you are. Thank you for being here this morning, Crosspoint. God loves you. More than I do. I feel like a VeggieTales at the end of that. (laughs) Go out into this world. Let those branches be trimmed and know his joy. Amen? Amen. Hey, and welcome back. Thanks for listening to this Sunday's message. We hope that we've helped you in your spiritual journey and that you're drawing closer to God. At Crosspoint, we gather on Sundays at 10 a.m. in Northeast Edmonton and throughout the week in something we love to call home groups. Home groups are encouraging and transformational communities for people just like you. We believe that the journey of faith is done together. So we hope that you'll connect with us at thecrosspointchurch.ca. Now, let me remind you of who you are. 
You are the people of God, called by God into his redemptive mission in the world. So be who you are.